0: Absolutely. Um, It's when you have the leaders of organizations recognizing the importance of data in their organization and actually encouraging the people that are responsible for that data to get certified and understand the standards and parameters that should be used. Um, in managing that data that's that's when you get the the benefit internally to the company that's when you see roi and so yes we we need that kind of top-down encouragement
1: you're listening to transform talks the podcast about global supply chain transformation i'm maria villablanca co-founder and ceo of the future insights network fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks i'm delighted to say that my guest this week is linda getz now linda is the co-founder of dfm data corp inc which is a corporation that delivers technology standards and best practice governance for the north american logistics industry now having spent uh, about 13 years as an award-winning educator linda now focuses her time on connecting with founders developers business builders innovators and other proponents of positive change around the world if all that wasn't enough Linda is also the Vice President of the Board of Directors at the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce. As a firm proponent of Bitcoin and blockchain, Linda is passionate about helping individuals and businesses enter the crypto age with a cautious optimism. During our conversation, Linda and I discussed her recent certification as a Master Data Quality Manager, how the Transport Unit Identifier Standard will streamline the digitalization of supply chains globally, and the idea that data is the new oil. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Linda. Welcome to Transform Talks. I am super
0: happy to be here, Maria. Thank you for having me.
1: Me too, because you are also someone who's a Floridian. Well, at least you're in Florida, aren't you? So,
0: <laughs> I am.
1: Oh, the, the weather has been amazing. The Gulf is beautiful. Yeah. I... Don't tell me that. It's, current, it's currently minus four degrees where I am. So, uh, the, you know, it's... Oh, ouch. Ouch. Exactly. So anyway, I am looking forward to asking you a bunch of questions because you do some really interesting things, and I think it's important to bring this attention to our to our uh, to our listeners. So, I want to start off first of all. I guess maybe we start at the beginning, uh. And I want to start off by congratulating you on you just got a certification as a master data quality manager, and and you know now that's cool as it is. But in this particular case, it's even more important given the fact that there are currently what, like only 21 people, at least in the U.S., that have been given this certification?
0: I think it's now 25, but of those, I think there's maybe five or six of us who are women. So yeah, very tiny.
1: (laughs) Okay, so why don't don't I start? I was going to ask you a little bit about how you get those numbers to be bigger, right? We want to see more women there, but maybe for our listeners, explain what a master data quality manager means. Just just to give a little context,
0: uh, it's issued by the ECCMA, and that's the um, the organization that has gotten their category A liaison to ISO, which is the international organization for standardization. So it's a an ANSI um, American National Standards Institute appointed administrator um, of the the U.S. technical advisory group. So like all very. You know they they're they 're there for the the right reasons um, and they they actually are overseeing the automation systems and integration uh, industrial data interoperability integration architecture for enterprise systems and automation applications like it's a it 's a really big bucket because data is so so important. And they, they certify and, and register and renew um, all the individuals with this uh, master data quality manager um, certification saying that you have an understanding of the ISO 8000 and the ISO 22745 standards and basically how they can be applied to um, produce and identify quality data. So they it, it's actually... Um, uh, a focus on making sure that there's accountability that you can source back to you know where did this data originate and that's in in my opinion one of the the biggest values of having master data is you can go to the source and the information gives you that direct pointer to the source and you know with with how data gets thrown around and you know regurgitated and and recompiled and and all the things that can happen to it. um, It's really important to have that definitive pointer that you can count on.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, almost everybody that I interview or I talk to pretty much to the last person tells me that a lot of the big impediments to digital transformation success are down to this whole issue around data. You know, data just comes up almost at every conversation, And so is this kind of certification, uh, hopefully if we make it more prevalent and we see it with more people, is that something that could help uh, people with the supply chain digitization? Absolutely. Um,
0: It's when you have the leaders of organizations recognizing the importance of data in their organization and actually encouraging the people that are responsible for that data to get certified and understand the standards and parameters that should be used um, in managing that data, that's that's when you get the the benefit internally to the company. That's when you see ROI. And so yes, we we need that kind of top-down encouragement. And anybody who has anything to do with data, they can actually go and get a free certification with ECCMA. And, and do it self-paced I mean it's it's a lot of data it's it's challenging you know to kind of go through the process but you can you can do it for free or you can you can sign up they monthly have um, in person uh, well online in person you know so they, they have an instructor that's there live with you um, to, to help walk you through and, and improve your understanding of what all the standards are and then point you to the resources to be able to start implementing those in your company so yeah it's it awareness has to be built first right and then we have that facilitation of the adoption that's done through education and then you know as advocacy is inspired and I think your, your show is a great place to, to really have that um, that advocacy uh, occurring just it, it's so important um, to, to get people aware and then actually doing better with their data because data is the new oil right um, and I, I think everybody's uh, agreeing that the value proposition is there, and just like with oil, you have to have refinement before you can extract the full value of that data.
1: Well, you know, I was actually going to take that analogy a little bit further and think. You know, I think data is something we all have, right? And so we're sitting on these the, these oil fields, as it were, these data fields the problem isn't so much extracting it or getting you know getting to the the data to use again the oil and gas analogy it's the fact that people don't know what to do with it they don't know they don't appreciate the value that they can have with data so okay so uh, let, let me go back to let me go back to asking you about the 25 of you that there are in the united states with this certification right so i know you want to grow that number so, what do you think uh, is going to be key to successfully doing that to growing the number, and more importantly, what responsibility do you think you have as one of these twenty five people
0: um, i I think the responsibility lays in the awareness um, and when when you think about master data and that it's it's commonly used to manage critical business information right around products, services, materials. Um, the constituents, clients, counterparty, like we've you, got this whole basket of of transactions that are happening in supply chain, you know, operational records, you know, like it's the the gravitas of what data is and and the need to to manage it appropriately and secure it. Like, yeah, it, it hits me personally working with DFM data, but also with the the blockchain chamber of commerce, and seeing this global digitalization happening yes the, the responsibility is there and and like I said the raising awareness facilitating adoption and inspiring advocacy has to happen and it can't just be you know sitting on me as a human it, it has to kind of be disseminated spread the awareness raised and then you know leaders in companies taking their role and saying you know it's it's my job it's my job to encourage my you know constituents to to come, into this different way of doing data. And and we can do it in a standardized way that allows us to work with our our global uh, partners better, right? The the communication is so much more efficient. I think there's a, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember the, um, uh, who were the players? It was like Spain and the the Netherlands. Um, Norway, Norway, that's what it was. they they were they were working with a very specific supply chain and they had errors of 20 percent you know in in identifying different you know um, things that were being moved and timing and you know all of these locational things and when they implemented the ISO 8000 standards they dropped their errors to 0.3 from 20.6 percent of their communication being erroneous. I mean it's like. There, there's such a positive impact zone. We just have to get people understanding where it is and how to start implementing in order to help remove errors and and start having that that refined data that allows them to make better business decisions. So yeah, I, I feel the I feel the personal responsibility, but I want to like spread that awareness out so broadly. That that responsibility is then picked up and, and carried by by leaders of international organizations, and you know they spread it to their suppliers, you know, and and say, you know, hey, this is what we're working with,
1: help us. Well, but you know, but, but let's let's be okay. Let's be cynical, maybe, right? You know, maybe you're not someone who loves data like you clearly do. What are the perils of being an organization that hasn't gotten control of their data? I mean, let let's let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, perils um, are, are many. The overload, um, just think about cloud storage of, of a bunch of data that isn't bringing you benefit. Like that, that's just one big bucket of garbage <laughs> that can be sitting there on the balance books, right? No, it's, 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 it's just junk. If it's not able to be used effectively and communicated effectively, so you you can really reduce your data storage if you can streamline that data into basically little little data packets that in just a little string of letters and numbers communicates tremendous tremendous amounts of data like if you if you look at the tuid and it's one of the most recent iso 8000 standards it's iso 8000-119 and it's for the transport unit identifier and the i mean it literally is just a string of letters and numbers but what it communicates is hey this is a standardized bit of data right and and then it actually gives the the time in a format that anyone globally can understand exactly the time that's related to this piece of information and then then it gives the absolute like within a square yard location of where this unit is coming from and that the same location that it's going to to that square meter right so this designation of it's it's called the iso nli so the natural natural location identifier um, is in this number right and then you can find out the status of this unit um, what, what stage in the progression of, of transportation and, and even consummation of payment that it's at, right? And then you have the the company identifier, like who's responsible for actually paying for this unit to be transported? And you know they are a, it, they're a company that has legal standing just based on that number, right? And you can, you can actually find out the country and, and the location that that legal standing was, was given from. So you know who the source is. And um, you know, then you get the identifier for that internal tracking number for the company. That's all in this little string of data. And it, it sends you to the source to, to learn more if you need to, right?
1: Well, I was just gonna ask you, cause I mean, you're really excited about the, you know, this T-U-I-D, Um, but because you think it's going to streamline the digitization of supply chains, right? And now for the benefit of our, of our listeners, for the benefit of our listeners, could you quickly explain the significance of the TUID for digital freight matching and the work that has gone on uh, up to this point? Yeah, it's,
0: um, it's work that started back in 2003, which, um, most people don't know that the, the first, um, Realization that there was going to be the digitalization of supply chains and dynamic freight matching, the ability to digitally connect most efficiently the driver-tractor-trailer load to move something. Um, that there's actually a patent um, 775518 that was um, authored in 2004. Uh, I think it runs through 2025. But that is the baseline, you know, standard patent for dynamic freight matching. And for that matching to occur, you need to be able to reliably identify a load, right? A transport unit. And we, we've had this explosion of dynamic freight matching. Digital freight matching is like, okay, it's it's like everybody knows that it is now, right? Um, but we, I think in the US alone, we have like 1,500 companies that are engaged in that process. And they may call the same load different things right so imagine imagine you have a load that's put out on fifty load boards and it then gets picked up off of one of them. It's now sitting in forty nine other load boards looking like it's still available to be bid on to it, it's it's a time suck it it pulls energy out of the system because it's now you know forty nine phantom loads loads that don't really exist. <laughs> But but are drawing resources, and so we recognized at DFM data that in order to help eliminate that level of of absolute inefficiency, we needed to be able to re- reliably identify each specific load and have a globally unique identifier, and that's where we started working with the, the ISO 8000 team um, at ECMA, and it. It is a really um, clean way to say, "This, this load exists uniquely, these are the identifiers. And what I listed, like literally, all of those component pieces are just in this little number that can then be put on a load board. And when it's picked up off of one, the status change that's built into the standard can actually support the removal of all that phantom data off of all the load boards. So it, the standard actually enables DFM data to do what it was designed to do, which is clean phantom data. And actually the efficiencies that that brings, I believe is gonna reduce about 30% of unnecessary costs that's currently in the system. So we, we had to go the standardization route first, to be able to solve an industry problem, a pain point that a lot of people tried to ignore but recognized that it was a problem. Um, We've actually done the hard work to get that standard in place and very, very recently issued the last couple of weeks. Um, And we're we're really looking forward to helping serve the industry with that data cleansing in order to make the, the, the promise of uh, dynamic freight matching really deliver uh, in in the most efficient way.
1: Well, it, I mean, already it sounds, the idea of a globalized standard sort of way of looking at this data is, is probably a, a huge advantage. And if you can save costs as well, this is, uh, I mean, that's something everyone likes to hear. Now, I, I want to turn to another subject um, that you're hugely passionate about, which is blockchain. Now, I, I know that you're bullish about its future, and I read an article in which you wrote... following which is i believe that a combination of multi-key technology ai and blockchain will fundamentally restructure the touch points of business and social connectivity globally Uh, now while that prospect of that becoming a reality is exciting to people um, it's also for many a pretty scary prospect so what is the one thing that people need to understand in your opinion about blockchain Um, it, it's kind of funny. One of my friends, uh,
0: Anthony Day, he actually has a great podcast of his own. Um, I think it's Blockchain Won't Change the World, um, won't save the world, that's what it is. Um, he asked a, a very similar question uh, on a LinkedIn post just yesterday. And my response was immutable freedom of speech through value transfer is the definition of blockchain in its purest form and when when you think about the the need to retain um, our our human freedoms um, across all of this uh yeah what scares people about AI in part is you know AI is going to take over the world you know they're going, they're going to control us through this this data and um blockchain is a is a very interesting component technology that actually allows for an immutable record and a history and access. Um, blockchains like the Bitcoin blockchain are decentralized um, just by nature. It's, it's a, a way to deal with data with much more integrity. There's not a central entity that can rewrite history. Now, they say the victors always rewrite history, right? Um, blockchain can, can help change that so it's actually history is what history what what was um and you know having um not any specific government being able to control in an overarching way um data is is really really important and i've actually seen um you know looking at a a global perspective the the uptake of standards, like the ISO 8000 standards. And it's interestingly um, in in large part countries that have a locus of control over their supply chains, they're implementing these standards. And, um, you know, I I think there's a a poster child implementation um, transnet out of South Africa. And, you know, they're the custodian of ports and rail and pipelines. And um, the interesting thing is, they're a public company of which the South African government is the sole shareholder. So think think about that. A, a country is saying, for the integrity of our ports, rail, pipelines, etc., we are going to implement these standards. And if we take that into kind of more more free and open societies where we don't have government ownership of all major utilities, we have to recognize as the, the entities engaged in commerce in those countries that the adoption of these standards in an unpressured way, like where, where we're just recognizing, hey, this is a good thing to do, right? That's what's going to keep there being the mandates that you must do it. Right. We, we have to do the good work, the adoption, the, the use of standards on the front end or it will be mandated by governments. It, it will be required. And if it's not implemented effectively, I believe we will have nationalization of a lot of different, quote, utilities, um, including supply chain management. So it's, it's something that I, I think we need to take really, really seriously. And, you know, change isn't fun. You know, nobody, nobody like runs to change and go, oh, yay, I want to change. Um, but it's necessary. And I think the standards can help facilitate it.
1: And I, and I think, I think you're right. I think it is in, inevitable that we're going to get into this, you know, the question is whether or not uh, people need to jump on board of this right now before it becomes nationalized or governments need to take over and it's imposed on on us. Um, and again, going back to my earlier question with regards to data and the perils of not getting this done, you know, not really taking ownership of this, these oil fields, these uh, data fields that we talk about. Um, it's also like a competitive advantage, you know, if you think about it from a competitive advantage perspective. Someone, someone else is going to do it, and it better be you, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and, and we in the
0: in the U.S. and I know this is a global audience that you have, Maria. So I, I do want to respect that. But I I know what happens with U.S. commerce does impact um, a lot of of international suppliers. Um, the the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 is something that people need to be aware of. Um, the The Federal Maritime Commission has put out a request for information and basically got back feedback saying supply chain is in crisis and they actually have the right to, to take over, um, the air rail trucking and what they already have, you know, in the maritime arena, um, to, to help with this crisis. And that, that's something that a lot of people don't have awareness of, but, if you think about the the South Africa example that I just gave, and Saudi Arabia, Korea, you know that we we have countries that are mandating the use of these international standards, and we now have a huge country like the United States that has a massive commercial footprint, saying supply chain is in crisis and looking to, you know, where is the reporting? Where's the real time data? Where is you know the where's the track the and trace that there's right, a right, the, the weakness well where, where do we have oversight and purview into what's happening they need heat maps of of where things are where they're moving um, you know and if we can provide that in a way that is standardized but that and this is this is really really important the TUID is such an important standard Because it points to the source. It doesn't give away proprietary data about a transaction. And that is what is so valuable about it because you can communicate data and you can have it aggregated by a a national entity like the Federal Maritime Commission without giving away your, your business secret sauce, how much you're paying for what and all of that. Um, it's, it's really, really important to understand that, that, I mean, recognizing, I mean, trade lens failed because people didn't love giving their proprietary data to big entities like Maersk and having, you know, IBM have purview over their business, right? The the Tuid is really, in in my opinion, and to the best of my awareness, the best tool to help have that that um, accountability without giving away that proprietary
1: data. Linda, that's all the time that we have. I want to thank you for shedding light on this important issue. And I think we're not going to hear the end of this, to be honest. I think this is something that we will be talking about more. Hopefully we'll raise more attention to this and and uh, we'll get that, those numbers up from 25 people with the certification to quite a lot more. So uh, I want to thank you for being here. Well, that's just in the U.S. There There are a lot all over and... I mean, get started
0: today. Treat data as a corporate asset, you know, refine your data for portability and utility. I mean, do differently today so that we don't have to have some of the negative uh, tomorrow. So thank you very much, Maria, for the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, I I hope this continues to to spread and awareness gets raised and and adoption is really facilitated.
1: Thank you, Linda. Thank you for joining us in Transform Talks. And for those of you watching or listening, we'll catch you at the next one.